0: welcome everyone to parallel church a church we come alongside and living out our mission to love one another as jesus loved us and i want to welcome tabor that's joining us uh, this morning i know pastor renee we're praying for you just had uh surgery this week uh in his sinuses and recovering well saw him yesterday and he's, he's recovering well and we're excited for you but uh I know Pastor Martin is there hosting the team, Pastor Jill and Margie. Uh, welcome Tabor, all of you joining us there. Give them a big hand. Welcome Claire's home with Pastor Brian and Heidi. Welcome Okotoks with Pastor Joel and Tanisha. Welcome Lloyd Minster with Pastor Mike and Kara. Welcome all of you joining us online wherever you're watching around the world with Pastor Tim and Jen. Welcome to all of you. And we're in a, in a series called For Love and Impact and we decided to put that slogan on the water tower instead of instead of uh, you know, the, our service times or advertising the church. Our church name, if you notice on there, is, is pretty small. But that's accountability for us in saying, no, no. Our mission, our vision is to love. Not just to love, love without impact is nothing. Like that's what Paul said. Like, it's a sounding gong. Like, you, you can do all this stuff without love. It's a sounding gong. But impact without love, come on. It's it's nothing either. Uh, Paul said this in Galatians 5. He said, the only thing that counts in your faith is to express itself through love. It's got to have love and impact. And we've been talking in the last number of series. I I, I talk, I know, um, for many of you, I, I, if you've been here for a while, you've heard me um reg on the church and and there's a lot of things that I dislike about if you're new to church you're wondering this is a pastor talking about this. there's a lot of things I dislike about the modern expressions of, of Christianity lots of things lots of things that I'm ashamed about as, as a Christian that Christians have done you know using the Bible and and all these kind of stuff and I'm ashamed about that and I, I rag on that all the time because it's I think it's important for us to call that stuff out and saying that's not Jesus it's important for us to do that but this series is not that. I'm not regular. This series is all about celebrating when Christians and the church in particular gets it right. Because there's sometimes like we're not all bad. There's times when we got it right. And in the name of Jesus, when we got it right. And so we're celebrating the times when the church and, and in this series, when the church and Christians get it right. And I've done uh, a lot of study, you know, I I throughout COVID. We had a little bit extra time. And so throughout covid I looked at 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 the state of the church and where where it's at and what it was and I decided I wanted I was dissatisfied hugely dissatisfied with the results that the modern church is getting today in comparison to to the results that I read in the book of acts in a particular the first 3 centuries. So I decided you know throughout covid that I was going to go and do some deep study into into church history and study in particular the first 3 centuries although I gravitate out of there and started seeing more but studying the first three centuries of Christianity and in studying the first three centuries of Christianity not studying you know and I was taught in Bible college what they believed in their theologies and I'd I'd learned all of that in church history and that's a lot of what we're taught which is important that's good but I didn't want to study that because a lot of that I kind of already knew or had been taught but I wanted to study in particular what they did And what did they do that had such impact? And I came across in in my studies, I came across one of the biggest revivals in history and a transformation. And this biggest revival in history, one of the greatest moments in history where the church exploded was in the years 200 to 300 AD. And this is what historians and I... It caught my attention. Historians said that Christianity entered the third century, 200 AD, with an approximately about 218,000 known believers on the planet. So, from the first 200 years, they went from, you know, from the disciples to 218,000, which is which is good growth. But in the next 100 years, from 200 to 300, they exited, you know, th- you know, the third century with over six million. Believers, that's an average growth rate of 43% per decade. Which I looked at that and I was like, wow, that is exponential. That is. What happened? I, wanted to, I went looking. I was like, what happened that transformed this church that struggled to grow, you know, or, or didn't struggle to grow, but it grew from zero to 218,000, which is impressive. But 218,000 in 100 years to over 6 million, what happened? And in particular, I went looking for who did it? Like, who led this? Who are, and I went looking for famous names and went looking for, you know, revivalists. And who was the Billy Graham of that, that era? Like, who was the person that exponentially expanded this? And I went looking and I went looking and I went looking and I was looking and I was looking. And the only, there's a few bishops that I found, few leaders that I found. But the one that stood out to me, the one that was said more often than anybody else, was Bishop Cyprian. And I was like, okay, what's he famous for? He's famous for having a plague named after him. In 249 AD, I'll explain why it was named after him. He didn't start it, just just so you know. In 249 AD, the plague of Cyprian erupted, it's what it's known now, in in Ethiopia around Easter time. And it reached Rome... In the following year, eventually spreading to Greece uh, and, and further east to, to Syria. And the plague lasted nearly 20 years. And here's the thing. At its height, it reportedly killed as many as 5,000 people per day. And historians go on to say that they estimate that at one, this plague over 20 years killed at least a fifth of the Roman Empire. Now, why it was named after Bishop Cyprian is because Cyprian, Bishop Cyprian, was the one who documented the plague and basically get through, wrote it throughout history. And he was the one that wrote about it for all sides, different things. He documented the, the plague. And so it was named after him, not because he was the starter, <laughs> but because he simply documented it. And I was like, I read this in COVID. Remember this? It started at Easter there's a big terror, like a lot of people were afraid, and I was like, oh, it's happened before. Really? Like, okay, nothing new. This one sounds a whole lot deadlier, right? The plague, uh, it wipes out a fifth of the Roman Empire. And at this point, the Roman Empire is at the peak, right? So it's as far north as, as England Northern England, and it spreads all throughout. Like, you look, at, you look up at history, the map is mostly the Roman Empire. It's amazing. What else is amazing, so I was like, okay, well, there's a plague that's wiping out a fifth of the Roman Empire. There's a whole bunch of widespread fear, and there's things written about this. And, I, and here's what happened. The Roman Empire, this plague happens, and there's so much fear, so much um, so much fear that people are, you know, any signs of any symptoms or of any, any signs of sickness at all, people were throwing out their relatives or, or, or people out into the streets and because they were so afraid of, of the impact that they were, you know, discarding children and discarding a, any relative and throwing them out there and refusing to help and refusing, you know, just kind of get out because I don't want you to get the rest of us sick. And there's so much widespread fear. And when you read some of this history, like the fear was panic. The entire, you know, it, the entire empire is in panic. The world at that time is in panic, is in, in, in widespread fear. We 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 got a little taste of it, but not, not to the degree that I read here. So what the empire, what the emperors, the Caesars did in this time to stop or to dissipate the, the panic is they looked for, and this is human nature, isn't it? They looked for someone to blame. And the people that they blamed it on were the Christians. They blamed it on Christians because they didn't call them Christian. They called them atheists. And they, because Christianity at this point, were not worshiping the Roman gods. And the emperors turned this and and blamed the Christians for the plague. And, and said it's their fault because they're turning people away from our gods, and the gods are angry, and the, the gods are then punishing us. It's the Christians' fault, which e- erupted, and this is what shocked me, erupted the greatest persecution in the history of the church. The next three successive emperors unleashed the greatest persecution, most horrific persecution against the Christian church in this time because it turned the emperors were able to turn all the people on, on Christians because of the fear, and they lashed out at Christianity and said they're the ones to blame. Which, when you put all this together, there's a plague that is killing people widespread. There's now the greatest persecutions, which killed more Christians than all the rest of it. It makes, it makes the radical growth of the church that much more impressive. Right? It's incredible. The persecution started with Emperor uh, uh, Decian in the early 250s, followed immediately by the persecutions under Emperor Valerian, which led to the harshest of all the the, um, persecutions happened under Diocletian, persecution that went from 283 to 305. Horrific. And you read some of the accounts of this, horrific. So now you're thinking, come on, you're thinking that Christians... People are dying in, 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 of the plague, and now Christians are, are being called out and sought out and, and to, be, to be put to death because that's going to make the gods happy and all the rest of it. You would think, come on, let's just be honest, how would you react? I would tend to become a little bit more private with my faith. Right? I'm just going to back up over here. Stay away, locked down in my house. Like I'm just gonna. That's what you would think. That's not what the Christians did. This is this is what was written. Dionysius, the Bishop of Alexandria, wrote this about the church. He says, Most of our brethren, through their surpassing love, there's that word again, right? And brotherly kindness, being unsparing of themselves and clinging to one another, fearlessly, there's a big word, fearlessly visited the sick and continually ministered to them, serving them in Christ, most cheerfully departed this life with them. What? Okay. Departed, meaning that they helped the sick and died because of it. When everybody else was throwing out their relatives, the Christians rushed in and started ministering love. They didn't have medicine. Love to the sick. And becoming infected with the affliction of others. They became infected with the affliction of others and drawing the sickness from their neighbors upon themselves and willingly taking their pains. What what he means by that is that many of the nurses and those who were nursing the sick Took on the disease themselves. And while the people they helped recovered, they didn't. Willingly taking it on themselves. I'm like, whoa. Whoa. But here, and, and at the same time, by rushing in, the only ones that are helping the sick at this time are the Christians. And by rushing in and helping somebody, expose themselves that much more to the persecution. And, and yet, I'm going, okay. And yet, the church exploded. And there wasn't one leader that caused it. There wasn't one great preacher that caused it. You know what caused it? Is, is that word fearlessly. That all the other Romans were in so much fear that the Christians showed courage and they went, their God must be true. Because that's not natural. And people became Christians at an exponential rate. Not because of some great preaching or some great service or some great revival. Became Christians at an exponential rate because of the love they saw in others. And they said, I want some of that. Isn't that something? Now, when I read that, I was like, that's That's incredible. That's incredible. Inspiring. And I wasn't the only one who was inspired by this. In fact, a century later, in 370 to 379, another Christian, Bishop Basil, who's now St. Basil. If you're Catholic, you know who that is. But Bishop Basil um, was so inspired by the Christians a century before that in, three, in 368 and 369, Bishop Basil's in this, he's not a bishop at this point, but he's, he's one of the leaders of the church. That he, there's a, a massive plague and famine that happens around Caesarea, the city that he's a part of. And he takes on, and the local, he gets so inspired, and he said, hey, Christians have done this before. And and in the midst of uh, this much trauma, a hundred years ago, these guys were so inspiring. He starts preaching and starts telling stories of the amazing love that that you know Cyprian and all these other the Christians did uh, a century before. And he's like, we got to do the same. And so they started taking in and feeding and 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 caring for the poor and the sick and doing all this kind of stuff to such a degree. Get this, to such a degree that they had to. the city of Caesarea says, we can't house the number of people that are coming to us for help. We're going to set up another city outside of our city that you can, you can that all the sick and the, and the poor and, and the hungry and the starving, they can come to there. And they set up another city outside of Caesarea called the Basilica and, and had to set up another city. Can you imagine this? Outside of Lethbridge, outside of Tape. Had to set up a suburb because so many people were coming to the church, to the Christians, for help. And in this process of all this amazing stuff, Basil sets up, has a God-inspired moment, and sets up what we would now know as the very first hospital. Under one roof, sets up, you know, has a number of doctors, has a number of people coming to the doctors, nurses, and sets up the first hospital. And out of that, out of that, the, the church got inspired by that, that they started attaching... Across the world, wherever there was a church or monastery, there was, there was anything, they started setting up hospitals across, and the points where multiple doctors come and, and, and care for the sick en masse, and, and this is amazing, and then you know what else got birthed out of that? Got birthed out of that, they're like, well, we need to train, we need more doctors, we need more nurses, we need to train them to be able to do this, and so they set up beside these hospitals, they set up what we, and what we now know as universities. The church. Come on. Isn't that amazing? And did you know? Come on, come on. Did you know? (laughs) Look at this. John Dixon said this in in his book. He says, 10 out of 10 of the top hospitals in the United States began with medical doctors who were trained by Christian universities. And 9 out of 10 had Christian founders who declared their Christian faith as the motive for establishing hospitals. Come on. Many hospitals today. You ever notice this? You ever notice that many hospitals are have Christian names? Saint. Right? Like they have Christian names. You don't see hospitals being named after Karl Marx. <laughs> Confucius. Muhammad. Come on. You don't see. Why? Because they were. They were started by, like, this, is, this is amazing, isn't it? The impact that the church has had. You take, you take Christians and, and Jesus out of the equation, this, this world is totally different. Yes. Totally different. In fact, in my studies, I, I discovered, I didn't know this, that the last run church hospital in Alberta handed itself over to the government in 1989. That's, come on, that's not that long ago. It seems like a long time if you're a Flames fan, but it's not that long. <laughs> <laughs> Come on. I is one, and it, it seems, but I was like, 1989, the church-run hospital, like, and there's still, in the States, there's lots of church-run hospitals and different things, but in Alberta, the last ones turned over to government in 1989. Now, all of this history and stuff like this, we have a modern example of a Bishop Basil, Bishop Cyprian. We have a modern-day example that if you look at this and say, well, that's ancient history and all the rest of it. We have a modern-day example. Anybody know who Mother Teresa is? Little, tiny little nun starts... She feels the call of God, and, 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 and this is the thing that's amazing about her story. If you study her history and her story, it's amazing. Amazing. She feels the call of God, the love of Jesus, and she says, I have to do something. And she goes into Calcutta, and this is what she did. She says, I'm just going to help, not heal everybody. I'm not a nurse, I'm not a doctor. I'm just going to help people die with dignity. That's it. Did you know when I studied the history, I didn't know this. When I studied her history a little bit, did you know that if you were a Hindu, she would walk you down to the river and, according to your beliefs, and dip you because that's what they believed was healing. Did, if that if you were a Muslim, she would read the Quran to you. She did what like she's not she's not out there with an ulterior motive. She's out there just to love and impact, just to love and to impact. And this one, because this one woman who felt the call of God, the, who's like, I'm just going to help and love people. This one woman attracted so many other people that said, I want to go and help her and all the rest of it. That that she founded the Missionaries of Charity because so many people are doing this. She founded the Missionaries of Charity and she in, encouraged other nuns. And and. And monks and said, go out and do this and, and have, which Missions of Charity grew to over 4,500 nuns across 133 countries as of 2012. And there's more today. That's amazing. And they run homes for people who are dying of HIV and AIDS, um, leprosy, tuberculosis, some of the stuff that that other people don't want to touch and go on, and also run you know, soup kitchens, uh, you know, mobile clinics, children's and family counseling programs, as well as orphanages and schools. Love and impact. And this is, what she, this is, what her, this is her own words of, of Missions of Charity. She said, the Missions of Charity, this is why. She said, the Missions of Charity care for the hungry, the naked, the homeless, the crippled, the blind, the lepers, all those who feel unwanted, unloved, uncared for throughout society, people that have become a burden to the society and are shunned by everyone. If you're going to become missions of charity, you're going to take vows of chastity, poverty, obedience, and the fourth vow, this one got me. The fourth vow is to wholeheartedly free, give, offer free service to the poorest of the poor. That's a vow. We're going to help the poorest of the poor. Where did she get this vision? Jesus. When John the Baptist was in prison, he sent an odd message from his disciples to Jesus' to disciples. And he, this is what he said to them. He said, can you go ask Jesus if he's really the Messiah? And I'm thinking, okay, John, this is your cousin. You've seen him miraculously born. You've seen him do all these miracles. You saw God himself speak from the clouds that this is my son when you baptize him. You saw all of this. Why are you questioning now? Like, why, when you're in prison, why are you questioning now? And, and part of that. Is, is revealed in Jesus' answer because Jesus didn't come as the Messiah everyone expected. Everyone expected this power, political power, to come and to set Israel free from the bondage of Rome. And Jesus came and didn't seek power at all. In fact, Jesus came and this is what he reported. He says, go back and tell John. This is, this is, this is proof that I'm the Messiah, that I'm the one that you're seeking. He says, go back and tell John what's going on, that the blind see The lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, the wretched of the earth learn that God is on their side. Is this what you were expecting? To which John would say, no. I was, expecting, I was expecting you to take on and to proclaim the truth and especially expose our terrible Israel king and and, tell the, and preach the truth in such a wee way that Caesar would get saved and we could transform. No, no, that's not what I was expecting. What were you expecting? He says, if this is what you're expecting, he said, then count yourself most favored, blessed. If you're expecting that Jesus would come, Help, in his words, the wretched of the earth to know that God is on their side. In that is our mission. Come on. In fact, Jesus taught us all to pray. He taught us to pray this way. He says, This is then how you should pray. Our Father, come on, you know it. You are in heaven. Hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth just like your will is done in heaven. That our job, our mission is to invite the kingdom of God to earth. To be the light in darkness. That doesn't mean that we exude power and all, like all this kind of stuff and that we win. That doesn't mean all this, it, it, that we know the truth. Of the, it means that we bring, our mission, our job is to bring the kingdom, God's will, for every single one. And in Jesus' own words, the wretched of the earth would know that God is on their side. here's today's takeaway i love this mother teresa says i'm a little pencil little's right <laughs> in the hand of writing god who is sending a love letter to the world did you know that the end of mother teresa's life like we know her, she became famous and she would stand before presidents and kings and and she'd influence them. She'd all go in and say the same thing to all of them and going, What are you doing like to help the poor? Like what are you- and she would challenge them in such a way, and all the rest of it. And you're going that she never, in the end, toward the end of her life, she never had to pay for a plane ticket. That where she'd walk into an airport, and people would part the way, and she would she'd walk onto a plane, never having to pay. Because, and you look at this and like she had more influence and more power than anybody, people, fame and all the rest of it. She didn't crave any of that. But she is a living example in our modern age of what Jesus said: if you want to be the greatest of all, you got to become the servant. She got all that, not by fame and political and money and all the rest. She got all of that by serving. Just as Jesus said. And I love this. And she says, I'm just, who am I? I'm just a little pencil in the hand of God who's writing a love letter to the world. God loves the world so much that he's using you to show that love. Mother Teresa also said, I don't get to do great things. I just do little things with great love. She said, We ourselves feel that what we are doing is just a drop in the ocean, but the ocean would be less because of that missing drop. How many times have you heard in your own head, I'm nobody? I, what difference could I make? She had the same things and she said, I'm, I'm nobody, I'm just a little pencil. I'm, what, what difference could I make? Stuff she said the ocean, you take that drop out and the ocean wouldn't be the same. She felt that what she was doing was insignificant, but it wasn't insignificant to the one. God exponentially added his super to her natural, and she impacted the world. You can too. And the greatest revival in the history of the world it didn't happen because of some spectacular leader. It, became, it, it came because what difference are we making by helping this sick person just recover or die with dignity? What, what difference are we making? Except it transformed listen to me it transformed rome and if you know history if you know history right after the greatest persecutions do you know who became the next emperor of rome constantine constantine became a believer and he changed all the rules and made persecuting christians illegal and he changed all of that and and out of that you know out of that, there's a transformation that happened. And did you know that within 100, 150 years, the Roman Empire, the greatest empire on the planet, dissolved? Not because of some big, powerful political leader, but because of individuals who showed great love. And servants of all. with this. Mother Teresa said this, never worry about numbers. Help one person at a time. Always start with the person nearest you. Isn't that good? Church gets it right. It's the most beautiful thing. It's a beautiful thing. I want to challenge each one of you. This is not I'll just share this in closing. I heard a metaphor this week that hit me right between the eyes. (laughs) And it was, anybody here into comics or read comics? Back check me. Please tell me it's not Robin. Okay, just kidding. (laughs) But in the comics... Uh, there's a, a volume of comics that the Superman comics, in particular, that Superman died. And you would think, I th- would think, that you know, what would happen to Metropolis is that the crime rate would go exponentially through the roof. Superman's dead. But in actuality, what happened is that the crime rate in Metropolis declined. Why? Because everyone stopped waiting on Superman to do all the job and the citizens took up the mantle help the person next to them so I'm saying that we in a message like this we can see all that you know all the all the amazing things are going we have to look we're always looking for something big something great Something you were going. This is what my city care is supposed to do. Yeah, my city care is going to do that. This is what parallel churches. This is what the church is going to do. This is what the government's supposed to do. We look for something big to solve all the problems. When in actuality, it's you and me that help the people closest to me. And if we all did that, if we all loved an impact, the person closest to me, we could change our cities. thank you so much for your word thank you god for the examples throughout history of amazing men and women with incredible courage with exponential love following your example your lead to lay down their lives for the sake of another god we're inspired challenged. we thank you lord for these individuals throughout history shown your courage your love had an incredible impact and i pray holy spirit that you'd reveal to each one of us how we could do the same how we could love and impact our neighbors our co-workers our family in jesus name give us the courage to know what to do or the wisdom to know what to do and the courage to do it in jesus name you're here today and you don't yet have a relationship with Jesus maybe it's because you look at throughout history and you see all the evil that the church has done and you're like I don't want any part of it I don't blame you but I also want you to know that Jesus wasn't like what some of his followers represent but also I want you to know that the church is not all bad and didn't always get it wrong and there's times where even in modern history we get it right and we're doing it and that you can be a part of the family of God simply and, and, and have a relationship with Jesus simply by confessing with your mouth that Jesus is God and believing your heart that he rose again from the dead and if you've never done that we're gonna pray a prayer together uh, right now this moment that that you can say you, know, you can confess Jesus as God if you believe what you're praying is true right here right now you can begin relationship with him let's pray this together everyone repeat this after me if you're watching online with me where you're watching from. Let's pray this together. Dear Jesus, I confess that you are God and I believe that you rose again from the dead and I ask you right now to become my God, my Lord, my Savior, my friend. Thank you for forgiving me of all my wrongs, for accepting me just as I am. I give my heart to you.